Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Chief Rugby League Writer for the Yorkshire Evening Post, although sadly still not much to write about on the field, Peter. Oh, I misheard you for a second there, <laughs> Richard. I thought you said um, still still Chief Rugby League Writer of the Evening Post, sadly. But, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think not. Oh, no. <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? Um, there's, yeah, it, it's, I've been speaking to um, players and coaches on a regular basis through this, and just just the last few days, a few of them have just start, have started to say, well, we're, we're, getting, we're getting fed up of it. Now yeah. it's, it's gone on long enough. Um, I think maybe everyone's having a, a sort of a mid-off-season dip. Um, I think people are starting to find motivation a little bit hard to come by. Um, two months in now, it's, it's more than two months since we asked have any live rugby in this country, although obviously the NRL starts in Australia on Thursday. And it's just people are starting to find it, to find it hard. Um, there is a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel with the proposals which we all heard about from Super League clubs for a restart in August. If you haven't heard that, the, the idea is that um, the season would resume in August, on August the 16th. The teams with a game in hand would play their game or games in hand. In Leeds Rhinos' case, they've got two to catch up on. Same for Wakefield. They play them in a the couple of weeks before um, 16th of August. But everybody would start with the next round, which I think is... Um, I think is Super League Round 8, on August 16. Yeah. And the idea is that that would be behind closed doors and hopefully fans would be allowed into the stadium from the start of October. So there are three scenarios, basically, leading to a grand final. The first scenario leads to one in, in November, the second to one just before Christmas, and the third, which is probably the most intriguing, to a grand final in January. That would include matches played over um, Boxing Day and New Year's Day. So we'd get proper competitive rugby on Boxing Day. Um, I think the idea is teams would have a home match on one of the holidays and um, an away match on the other. So that's quite quite interesting. The, the benefit of that one is that it minimises the number of games that would be played without a crowd. Yes. If you go for the November scenario, then obviously have to pack the number of fixtures into a short period of time. There'd be more fixtures before October the um, the 1st and therefore more behind closed doors. That's something I think clubs are, are obviously anxious to, to avoid because, of, as we've said numerous times, on here, if you play behind closed doors, there's no match day income. Clubs are desperate for match day income. They're desperate to um, recoup something from this season. The, the problem with going beyond November is, is contracts end, all Super League contracts end at the end of November. So there's the potential that, that um, players could be playing after the contract's finished or even... One of the big big scenarios is is that players who've signed for a club for next year, they'd effectively their contract would be beginning before the end of the season. So that's that's a little bit awkward. 
Um, the suggestion Gary Hetherington's made is the obvious one. We'll just put the contracts back till um, from the end of November till the end of December. So it can probably be worked around, but clubs would have to all work together in it to um, to agree that at the moment nothing's been agreed, but it's just to be discussed by Super League clubs with the RFL this week. Um, and I think just the fact that that this date's been mentioned, August the 16th, is going to perk people up a little bit. It's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It shows that that hopefully we are going to get some rugby at some stage, um, not in the immediate future, but um, in the next two or three months. And that's what everybody's desperate to hear. Yeah, certainly. I think um, of the three options, the, the third one seems the, the safest, the most preferable uh, for the reasons you've outlined there. And also, I think it gives everybody a date to aim at. Um, also, a, a chance to get through this period using the furlough system to help keep the clubs alive while this money isn't coming in. And then a minimum period then before hopefully crowds allow back in early October, they seem to be suggesting. But I think as well also the the actual fact of having some rugby over the Christmas period is a great um, draw for, I think, for all fans. I think that, you know, imagine real key games and deciding games being played around that period, especially after, you know, all that we've been through these last few months. I'm sure everybody's looking towards that period to try and round off a bad year in a good way. And, uh, you know, I think that would help as well. Um, I think that, that's the sort of thing that will be supported probably by clubs on this side of the Pennines, but I'm not, sure, not so sure about clubs on the wrong side of the Pennines yeah. um, because they don't quite have the same Christmas tradition that we do here. I mean, mo- most of the clubs in, in that I cover play on Boxing Day. Leeds yes. always play <laughs> Wakefield, Cass tend to have a game. Featherstone often play sometimes Hunslet as well and Dewsbury always play Batley. So there is a tradition of it here. Not Maybe not quite the case with clubs like Warrington and Wigan and, and St Helens. I've not spoken to them. I don't know. They might be mad keen on it, but that's just the impression I get. And the, the concern about going into January is obviously that the season will more or less run into to the plan for next season. This year, the first matches were played at the end of January. So you're not going to be able to have a grand final in um, in mid-January and start the next season at the end of it. Yeah. So there will be a knock-on effect on, on 2021. From my point of view, I think that's manageable because the, the key thing is to get this season sorted. Let's get the season done and dusted and out of the way and then you can worry about next year no one sold season tickets for next year yet for example yes so obviously again this is something Gary Everington has, has mentioned players have had a lot of time off they've just gone through a, a full off and pre-season played a maximum of seven games and then had another what's probably going to be four months off so they'll be relatively fresh you could probably manage with a, a two-month off season and, and start again in March, which is when I think Super League should start anyway, cutting out all the um, all the the really bad weather in January yeah. and February. So that I think that's a, I think that's something that can be got round, and and it would be quite interesting to see how it worked if we we started in March and went through to an October Grand Final. Added complication, of course, is the World Cup next year, and we want to make sure England are as well prepared and the players as fresh as possible. 
for that. But um, I, I don't, I, for, I don't think finishing in, in January is as big a problem as, as some people will see it. But of course, the key thing is what the clubs think yeah. and what the coaches think. And I, I hope that the coaches and players are consulted. Um, Luke Gale writes a column, an excellent column for the Evening Post, mm-hmm. and goes in on a, a Friday or Saturday. Um, and he was saying last week that one of his concerns is the players aren't being consulted. He thinks the players need a voice, and I'd agree with him on that. Let's let's make sure all the stakeholders, fans, clubs, players, and coaches are all consulted because um, we're all in it together, so to speak. Yeah, the strange one, isn't it? I think the most players are covered, is it, by the Unite Union? It's Rather than a sport yeah, like football, well, you have the PFA, don't you? And they generally yeah, speak up for the players, or each club has a representative on the PFA. It's the GM, GMB Union. GMB, is it, sorry? Yes, in, um, in Rugby League. Um, Rob Burrow's dad has been um, heavily involved in, in getting that, that up and running. And, and the players I've spoken to about it have all said that they're they're happy with the work the GMB are doing, but they just they just want other people in the game, decision makers, to to listen to them a bit more. Yeah, well, funnily when it, when we were looking at the three options, it, it got me thinking that maybe in the longer term, you know, as you've suggested, you could push back the season a bit and even maybe start it after Easter and run it till after Christmas, um, you know, and. and get rid of that bad weather early in the year and ha- have a genuine summer game and then going into the autumn uh, and uh, festive period with the deciding games and then a, a, a big send-off in January in a few months off then when the weather's really bad. Just a, a thought that came to me when I was, you know, when you were chatting there. Uh, but again, as you say, the main thing is it does give people a date to aim for. I know probably like society in general, I think everybody's getting a bit fed up now with the with the lockdown and, and want things to look forward to and happier times ahead um, and hopefully they're around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when, when you're drawing up future fixed calendars, you have to bear in mind the international game. As I say, we've got a World Cup coming up in 2021, which will be in, in the autumn, so you couldn't play through yeah. through into the winter of 2021. And I, I'd hate to see that international calendar affected um the australians aren't very committed to it anyway but we need as much um international rugby as we can get really it's a great shame that the the ashes although it's not officially been cancelled we all know the ashes aren't going to happen this year yes. and that's something a lot of people have been looking forward to for a long time and and one of the, the real downsides of um of what's happened this year in, in rugby terms Yes, I was reading an interview in the, our sister paper, the Yorkshire Post, with Steve Menzies, the former Bradford forward, and he was saying how much he'd gained out of uh, touring with the Aussies uh, back in the day and how much he'd learnt you know, as a person and as a player. I think he said he was on one of the last tours where they still had midweek games before it all changed to uh, you know the home nations. Uh, obviously played Great Britain and then they played club games as well. And, you know, big deciding factor in him wanting to actually come over and have a go at playing in England as well. And he was saying what a shame it was that not only the Ashes, as as we think, will go this season, but that the international game itself, you know, could be stronger and he wished it was. Yeah, um, that that's an interesting 
interesting comment, really. I know um, Danny Baderas, who spent a lot of time three seasons with Leeds, he says the same thing. Yeah. He, he learned so much from touring in this country. Um, it's beneficial for everybody, isn't it? I'm sure the Aussies benefit from it, from the experience if they come over here. Um, certainly the English game benefits from playing against them and, it, and it's good publicity. The, the international game is, is one thing that really does attract the attention of, of the national media and it it's just such a shame it doesn't have a, a higher status really in, in rugby league. I think people in this hemisphere are tend to be supportive of international rugby league, but sadly the, the Aussies regard the NRL and particularly state of origin as the ultimate in rugby league rather than test rugby. And that's that's a shame. Um, obviously the, the state of origin is, is a huge thing, but international rugby is getting stronger. Look at what Tonga have done yeah. last year. And down in that incredible victory over the Aussies last year, they've also beaten the Kiwis and beaten um, England's, well, Great Britain. So the, the international game is, is growing in terms of there are now more competitive sides and we should be having more international matches, not fewer. Yes, yeah, I'd agree with you, Peter, you know, for all those reasons, the, the profile, the improvements of the players, the fact that you get to see different players from different countries, they then get the chance to play in different countries themselves. You know, it can only benefit the game as a whole and, uh, you know, hopefully that attitude will change in time although it's hard to see it at the moment because so much does ride on the NRL and the state of origin and the profile and the money that's made there yeah exactly right exactly right the, the state of origin this year been rearranged for um, October November clashing with um, with the ashes and I don't I don't suppose anyone in Australia had, had too much um, concern about that sadly no no I think and the irony, you know, a few players probably would, but but nobody else. Um, yeah. Well, as we say, you know, hopefully that date, August the 16th, uh, things will start happening again then and we can get some kind of season in. So as we've been doing in past weeks, we've been looking back at games and events and players that we may have seen enjoyed playing in the past and we thought that this week we might start going through the actual team from 1 to 13 and, uh, having a look at some of our favourite players, starting this week with uh, full-backs. A few to go out there from down the down the years, Peter. Yeah, it's it's always interesting when you do this. What what criteria you go on, and and if you pick players you um, you haven't seen, it, it's always it's a bit of a bugbear of mine when when you see modern day greatest teams of all time and they're all players from the last yeah. last 20 years um, I think it's very important in rugby league that we remember the great players of um, of the past and there have been some some great fullbacks over the years um, and, and it's a, a strong position at the moment I mean in terms of, of Leeds players if you were talking about quality fullbacks over the years probably one of the earliest ones that um his last match was in 1944, so there won't be too many people have seen him play now. But Jim Brough, who was um, a Cumbrian, very tough player, he, he had a, a fantastic Leeds career. Played 442 appearances um, over almost 20 years, I think 
19 years he played for Leeds and he was a, a quality player in his day. Um, and New Zealander Burke Cook, who was one of my dad's favourite players, played from um, the late 40s to the early 50s and a prodigious goal kicker. Yes. Um, it's a, a very famous goal kick in um, 1947 or 48 when Leeds got to um, Wembley without conceding a point. They went to Wigan in an absolute quagmire and he, he kicked a crucial penalty from uh, from halfway right. out the north. He's, he's fondly remembered um, by the older end. And, and more recently, Australian Ken Thornett was a terrific player from, from what I've been told, played in the 1961 championship team. And there was Gus Brisbane um, played just after that. He was a, a fullback in 68. And then you've you've had people like um, John Holmes who started as a, a fullback um, went on to, to other positions. More more recently, Andrew Ettingshausen, ET, yes. was a uh, was fantastic player for Leeds in a couple of um, short off-season spells or Aussie off-season spells when he came over um, just before the, the Super League era and still massively popular with, um, with Leeds fans. And, and into the Super League era, you'd... Um, You'd, you'd probably mentioned three, I, sh I should think. Yestin Harris yeah. played a lot of fullback. Um, he tended to, to start fullback and move up into the, the halves as games went on, and he was a he was a quality player. Still one of my favourite players to have watched playing for um, for Leeds, and obviously Brent Webb, Superman, yes. as he was known from the fans, and he, he sort of. He contributed to changing the way fullbacks play. He was he was almost like an extra standoff, um, chiming into the line. Terrific player, great great um, quality to to everything he did. He was just a fantastic player to watch. And of course, Zach Hardacre, who burst onto the scene really as a winger, moved to centre, and then um, became a fullback in his. his final days at Leeds I mean she's probably moved more back to, to centre now but in his day he was absolutely the best fullback in the English game in, in 2015 when he won Man of Steel absolutely superb a, a terrific try scorer but defensively a, a brilliant fullback as, as well and um, again someone who perhaps to an extent changed the way fullbacks um, fullbacks play the game He's obviously not, probably not kicked on quite to the extent for various reasons that, that it looked like he might do. But he's it's pleasing to see that he's, um, after his recent troubles, he's settled in at Wigan and he seems to be doing um, doing well there. And, and let's hope he, he stays on the right path because um, I know Zach quite well. And, and I think he's a, he's a decent bloke. He sometimes does some silly things, but he's a good guy and he's a fantastic player. We, mean, we need people like Zach Hardacre um, firing on all cylinders if we can have any chance in the World Cup next year. Yeah, certainly. Um, funny you should mention that about the modern lists as I was just having a bit of a scan before we came on air just to research a few players. And I, I saw the, the sort of top five fullbacks in the world, 2017, 18, 19, you know, and each year it was five 
completely different players, even though on each of the lists that all the players were still playing the game almost. You know, it's like, well, they were last year's five greats, but none of them are even worthy of getting in the top five this year. <laughs> and it just seems like the madness of it. Um, and the other thing, as you were chatting as well, that I think at one time fullback was a very specialised position in terms of that. I used to play the other code and the fullback was, to me, was always a, a madder version of the fly half, which stand off in rugby league. Uh, the fly, you know, they could both kick, they could both, uh, you know, distribute the ball well, they're both, you know, good rugby brain on them. Uh, but the, the fullback would always be the one who would put their life on the line, whereas maybe the, the fly half wouldn't to the same degree. And and so, you know, I played on the wing because I didn't, I couldn't kick a ball to save myself, but I could run. So I'd, you know, obviously take the overlap or whatever. And as you say, Zach Hardacre is a kind of modern example of that, where he's played in several different positions, but he's excellent at them all. Um, you know, and you do seem to find in the modern game that players are more able to just drop back and fill in that position than maybe they did in the past. Um, I don't think yeah. I'm, I'm doing that an injustice, but you know, at one time a fullback seemed to be in the team as fullback kind of throughout his career. Uh, whereas now they seem to be a bit more adaptable. I think, yeah, that's that's an interesting debate. That probably one for an, another time. But I think you'd probably say that with with a lot of positions, wouldn't you? That players. One of the complaints about the the modern game is it's maybe a little bit too repetitive. All the players are sort of the same build and and yeah. sort of have interchangeable skills in a way. I mean that that's not. An absolute truth is it? I mean, look at Rob Burrow, Rob Burrow one of the, the best players to watch over the last twenty years, and five foot um, five foot four. But there is, there is an element, certainly an element of truth in it, and and you do tend to get players. Most second rowers can play centre yes. nowadays, and, and wingers tend to be able to play fullback, and there aren't many proper loose forwards around nowadays, either. That a lot of coaches tend to use the, um, the 13 as an extra middle and extra prop, um, which is why it's nice to see someone like Cameron Smith doing so well for Leeds before the um, before the shutdown because he's a he's a proper ball handling loose forward. So yes. this this swings and rounds roundabouts to it, isn't isn't there? It's obviously it's good to be able to to fill in different roles, but I think it's also nice to have people who are who are specialists in a certain position. Um, and we get that less and less nowadays. Yes, I mean, certainly some of the guys who play on the wing now are bigger than some of the forwards in the past, aren't they? You know, they're huge men when you think of a, a Ryan Hall or someone like that, you know, I mean, he's a, a giant of a man, but he can, he can still move like Linford Christie, so he's got it all. Um, yeah. And no doubt, yeah. could it similarly could probably, as you say, drop in at the back of the scrum at times as well. Because uh, he's the right build for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so far, you've avoided mentioning anyone. Come on, putting your head on the, the block. Yeah. Well, there could be some great fullbacks. Yeah. Well, a couple that came straight to mind for me: uh, the late great Steve Prescott, who was uh, one of my all-time favourite rugby players in either code. It's fair to say, um, superb player. Uh, could kick a great drop goal and a place kick. And again, a guy who joined the line at speed, but was also 
a great cover tackler and defensive player as well. Um, we were talking last week about uh, when we've had to, or rather largely you had had to do rewrites of games that had suddenly changed in the last few moments. And I remember seeing a game uh, between Halifax and Hull back in the days when I was reporting at the Shea. And it got to 20-all in the final few seconds and Hull worked the ball back to Steve Prescott, who I can still see him in mind's eye now. He was just inside his own half when the ball came to him and he dropped it perfectly between the posts to win the game. And obviously give me a quick rewrite of... Uh, I'd been planning for, I think it was a Halifax win, and I think Hull came back into it. Then I was writing for a draw, a thrilling draw, and then I was writing for, you know, man of the moment, Steve Prescott once again uh, won the game for his team. <laughs> um, but so he was a great player. He played at Wakefield as well, didn't he, Steve? But it was that year they made a lot of signings and a lot of trouble, financial trouble off the field, and the team never gelled and they all moved on very quickly. So we never saw the best of Steve at Wakefield. I mean, he was absolutely thrilled when he joined them, but uh, it's fair to say he was he was much better at St. Helens and Hull um, before we sadly lost him and obviously held in such high regard that they named the Man of Steel trophy after him. That's, that's exactly right, yeah. But he was one of a number of sort of high-profile players who came to, to Wakefield around that time and, and I mean, we, we won't go into what happened now, but um, the the... As Niall Grant would say, I think Wakefield's eyes were a bit bigger than their belly at the time. Yes, um, yeah. They overstretched themselves more than somewhat. It didn't. It didn't work out for him at Wakefield through no fault of his own. No. But terrific at Hull, and um, not some. I didn't. I didn't know him. Steve Prescott met him a couple of times, but, but didn't know him. But he's held in such high regard by everybody who did. I think that's a that's a measure of what a good bloke. He was, and I think that's a really good description you've given of his, um, his playing abilities as well. Yeah, I, when I went to Newcastle Poly in the late 80s and all the guys I shared a flat with were St. Helens fans and Precky, as they called him, was one of their heroes. Um, and so I was kind of indoctrinated to a degree, but you could obviously see for yourself what a great player he was and you know some some happy memories of watching Steve Prescott play. As you say, the modern players have always liked Zach, tremendous player, um, really exciting to watch. You never quite know what's going to happen next. Um, kind of guy you'd always want on your team, I think, you know, and, and his versatility as well, uh, ability to kick goals, play at the back, play in the centres. Uh, difficult to get a read on what he's going to do, suddenly comes into, into a gap and he's gone or takes it on so far and then offloads for the next guy to score. So, again, a, 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 one of the great modern players. Brent Webb, I think we spoke about him the other week. Superman, another one who seemed to suddenly pop up in the line um, and go one way, then the other, and either carve out an opening for himself or uh, one of his teammates. Um, used to, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, enjoyed watching Brent play down, down the years Possibly, like a lot of the great players as well, you don't realise how good they are till they're not there anymore. Um, and again, reading interviews with other Leeds players of that time and since, um, how many who say, you know, playing with Brent Webb was just amazing, you know, what an amazing player he was, what he could do and, you know, how he thought and what he'd tell you to do and that. And I think, as I yeah. said the other week, 
the players can speak a lot better than I could about him. They all hold him in the greatest regard. Yeah, very popular. I remember the, the 2008 grand final when um, he injured his back in training a couple of days before the um, before the grand final. And Leeds actually, probably surprisingly, announced that he wouldn't be playing. Um, and Lee Smith shifted to, to full back and produced yeah. the game of his life, produced a man of the match um, yeah. winning performance. But I was in the changing rooms afterwards when, um, when the team rang Brent Webb who was um, basically couldn't move. He was, he was sat at home. He'd been watching it on telly, obviously, but, but totally incapacitated. And everyone sang Brent Webby's Superman down um, down the phone to right. the engine rooms. I think that was a, an indication of what the Leeds players um, thought of him. Yeah. Somebody went field-wise, who I've got a high rating for. It's not not quite taken off yet, but I think it's a very good rugby player. So Max Jowett, who I'd, um, I'd like to see Max get more game time at, um, at fullback. He, he looks like a natural rugby player to me in, in from what I've seen of him at Trinity. And I'll, it, it would be good to um, good to see him get a run of games at, at fullback. Um, I think we should mention Castleford. I think they've made a terrific signing for next season at fullback in Nile Evans. Yes, they've sir. had problems in the role, haven't they, since, since Zach Hardacre's... Um, left the club at the end of 2017 uh, they've not been able to, to find a settled number one but I think Evans is a very good player joint second top try scorer in Super League last year defensively strong he's quick he, he scores tries um, I'm excited about seeing him at Castleford next year yeah, I'd, I'd made a note of him to, uh, to ask you about Evelds, Peter, because, you know, it was a real coup for Castleford signing him, I think. You know, you would really have expected, I think, with no disrespect to Castleford, that, you know, maybe he'd have ended up in Australia or, you know, at, at Wigan, you know, one of the usual suspects, Wigan or Warrington, would get him if they knew he was on the move. Um, you know, I think it's a brilliant signing for Castle. I was, I was amazed that they, they pulled it off, a real statement signing that. Um, you know, as you say, somebody who's really caught the eye at Salford uh, down the years and was obviously very highly rated there. They were, they were obviously very annoyed to lose him. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, just slotting nicely at Cass, probably haven't had a, a player there, like you say, since since Zach left. I think, has, has Jordan Rankin left now, or is he in, in the yeah, process of leaving uh, Cass? he's come back to, to Australia yeah. this week for, um, for personal reasons. Right. Um, apparently, it, it's interesting that they've they've not um, Cass haven't yet announced the Evold signing, but we all know it's it's done. I'm hearing rumours that it's only a one year contract, though. I'd be interested to to know if that is true, and if if so, why? Yes. But also, with ranking having gone, who's what they're thinking of doing at fullback for um, for the rest. Of this season, I suppose Matautia could um, could switch there. He's played a lot of fullback, obviously, and then maybe move Chase Blair into the um, into the centres. But that would give them something unexpected to think about. It's not ideal, is it, when you you lose a player midway through the season? But they've got plenty of time to plan how to um, to cope without Jordan Rankin while the um, while the game's still suspended. But yeah, I think um, I think Evans is a really good signing for Castle. I'm looking forward to seeing him play next year. Yeah, there was a few snippy comments on one of the Facebook groups. I'm a men- member of. There's quite a few Cast fans on there, obviously, and 
a lot of the other fans of other clubs were laughing at them and saying he's only signed for one year and then he's going to Wigan or he's going to Oz or he's just using it to get out of Salford. But as you say, until an official announcement is made, I mean, it would be unusual for a player of his quality to be only signed on a one-year deal unless it is, you know, as, he's, as we've discussed many times, the current financial situation, all parties just want to see where they'll be in another year or 18 months' time. Yeah, um, but either, either way, you know, you can't deny that, you know, a, a brilliant signing for Cass, you know, and one that, you know, it shocked me, you know, it did, you know, I think it's a great signing, but I probably wasn't expecting him to end up at Cass. And I don't think a lot of their fans were either. They, they were all really chuffed. <laughs> credit to Cass, it's good, yeah. it's good that Cass can attract players of, of that quality. Isn't it? I mean, they've recruited well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not everyone's worked out, but it's nice that that um, good players who who would doubtless have options elsewhere are, are choosing to to put pen to paper for the for the Tigers. Yeah, I think as you've touched on many times, Peter Daryl Powell, you know, he seems to have a knack of improving every player who comes under his wing, and uh, you yeah. know, I think that must be another thing. If you are a player looking to take the next step, you think, well. I look at A, B and C who've signed for Castleford in the last couple of years and look where they are now, you know, then surely, you know, Daryl Powell could maybe do something for me as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's a, that's a strength Cass have, um, have got at the moment. Whenever you speak to a Cass player about a new signing, why he's signed, they tend to say, well, I want to work with Daryl Powell. Yes. So, um, so yeah, good, good on it. A couple of, well, one of the had on my list, uh, he's, he doesn't seem Jack Walker at Leeds. He fought off Ashton Golding for the number one shirt. It'd be interesting to see how his career develops. He, he's a big lad for a, a fullback, but he's good hands, hasn't he? And again, it's somebody who gets a few tries for Leeds. Well, he yeah, he's, the team. He he could potentially play in the halves, I think, but wants to wants to focus on fullback. Um, he's been a little bit unlucky with injuries so far but at 20 he's a grand final winner um, and he, he's a quality player if, yes. if Leeds can hang on to him um, he and there's no reason why why they shouldn't but if they can hang on to him I think he's somebody that's going to have a, a very long and um, successful career at Leeds he's the sort of player that I would imagine NRL clubs will be looking at before um, before too long but yeah he, he's you'd think he's um a player who's who's a potential future England fullback. Yes, and I well another guy. When you were chat, chatting about Max Jowett, who you're right, he he seems to come into the team in bursts, and then he he goes away again. Doesn't seem to have quite won the shirt for himself. Um, quite got taken the plunge to give him the shirt on a full time basis, but obviously another player with a huge potential. And I've always quite liked Ryan Hampshire. The, who plays at fullback at Wakey? Um, you know he seems to pop up with the odd crucial try. He's a bit old school. He's not. He's not the biggest of lads, is he? But he's he's very tough. And I enjoy watching Ryan play. Um, he's another one who obviously could. He's probably not totally nailed at the fullback spot down, and and just how the the halves he tends to switch between the two. But yeah, he's a. He's a good player, someone else I, I enjoy watching. Yeah. And just one final one for me. I managed to shoe on him in. Um, <laughs> my all-time favourite rugby player in either code, Jonathan Davis. 
who um, <laughs> who played fullback for Canterbury Bankstown for a short spell. Um, and again, very versatile player. I suppose I could have mentioned Jonathan anywhere, really. Um, but a fantastic uh, rugby player. He apparently played 14 games for Canterbury at fullback and scored 100 points and helped them to the playoffs, um, as well as obviously winning Man of Steel in our code and all, all the honours he accrued with Wales and in reunion as well. Uh, old friend of mine, Mark Reeves, um, when Jonathan Davis first came to witness and he was learning the ropes in the reserves, uh, Mark was on the opposition for Wakey in like their academy team of the time. And he played against Davis and he said it was just unbelievable. He said at the end of the game, he's from Shelston, he's Mark, and he's, he's got a cheeky sense of humour. He went up to Davis and said, so that's what you look like, is it? <laughs> and he said, Davis burst out laughing and said, what do you mean? He said, well, all I've seen of you all the game is the back of your shirt, <laughs> as you've gone past me time and time again. So, but yeah, I thought, he, you know, great player, scored a brilliant try recall for Great Britain, I think, was that in 94 against Australia, when he went over in the corner? Yeah, yeah, and, uh, Sean Edwards has been sent off. Yeah, yeah, the same game you mentioned last week, I think, with the That's with right, your yeah. favourite games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a, a very here's a here's a very very tenuous. Um, just before we finish, tenuous link to our patch from Jonathan Davis. I believe his successor at um, Flanethley, Aldenelli, as um, as apparently they don't like you to pronounce it, was um, Colin Stevens who. Oh yes. Yeah, went on to play for, for Wales and big things were expected. Ended up at, at Leeds, um, playing union for the for the Tykes. Um, still it still lives in Leeds and his son Ewan, um, IWAN Stevens is um, currently in Rhinos Academy. Yeah. And, um, one of the, the young players who um, Leeds have some some high hopes for um, a fullback can play play in the back, around the back division, but um, I think probably a specialist fullback, and uh, he's somebody we might see a little bit more of in in the future. Yeah, that's interesting uh, that you mentioned him, Pete, because I think well at the moment without going too much into union, but they're trying to rebuild the club in Leeds, and I think Colin Stevens is going to be helping out there, and Phil Davis, and another South Walesian, isn't he, who who has had some success in the city in the past. But I think, if my memory serves, Colin was involved with Marley Rugby Club for a while when I was the reporter yeah, he there. Was, yeah, and, he was. Yeah. And again, you know, great Philip for Marley to get a, a guy like that involved with them. Okay, then, Peter. Well, I think that's that for this week. Um, at least we have some kind of date to aim towards now in August, and uh, hopefully. Maybe more clubs will be announcing their plans for the future in the in the coming days and weeks. So let's um, let's hope so. Um, we'll no doubt talk about whatever other um, developments there are over the next seven days this week. And if um, next week we'll talk about um, our favourite wingers. So for anybody yes. who's listening who who wants to tell us about um, who your favourite wingmen were, um, please drop us a line. We'll give you a mention next week. Yes, certainly. I'd echo that. And again, as we say each week, you can get the very latest from my Twitter handle at Richard Byron YEP or Peter's at Peter Smith YEP 
or the YEP Sports Desk at YEP Sports Desk. There's also the Yorkshire Evening Post website, www.yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk for all the very latest news and sport and developments on the coronavirus and the latest happenings in the game from Peter. So until next time, we'll say goodbye. Thanks, Peter, again for your time. We'll speak to you.